0: Hey guys, it's your host, Megan Kenny, and you're tuning in to another episode of Lifting the Fog, a podcast that hopes to become a collection of conversations offering support and connecting individuals affected by childhood cancer. This week's episode, we sat down with special ed attorney Keith Butler, who just gives us kind of basic special ed 101, um, talks about what a 504 is, what an IEP is, what ADA is, article seven, I D E E A, what are all these acronyms help us dear Lord. There's too many of them. So he kind of walks through what all of these are and is your child eligible? And if he or she is eligible, um, how do you even start this process? Um, so we hope that today's conversation is kind of, like we said, a good um, glimpse at at what these services are. And, and how you can get started in this process and advocating for your child. So really enjoyed this episode, um, and I think this will be a great one to just add to the collection and that parents can can reference and, and revisit when they have questions about this, this weird special ed law world and what that means for their child. So um, thanks for listening. All right, let me start recording. Well, welcome, Keith. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, So, Keith Butler, you are a special ed attorney and you work for Indiana Disabilities Rights.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Okay. Um, Can you give us a little bit of background in how you got into this line of work and how long have you been doing it?
1: Okay, so um, I, after graduating from undergrad, I did kind of like accounting and finance, you know, until a different career for like five or six years, I kind of decided that, um, you know, I wanted a job where if I like got hit by a bus the next day, it wouldn't really, you know, like, think, like <laughs> it would actually matter to people. I mean, not that I think what I did at, you know, my accounting finance job was sort of important, but it was, you know, with a big company and it was one of those things, you know, it was sort of like important to the other people I worked with, but it wasn't like, you know, the stock price would drop if I, uh, yeah if I, if I quit or something. So, um, I did, that's kind of how I law, you know, was came of interest to me. So I went back to law school partway, you know, after working for five or six years, which probably wasn't the greatest financial decision, but I'm, I'm glad I did it. Um, and so after working in, uh, various jobs for about two years, I, uh, got the opportunity to come on board. It was called Indiana Protection and Advocacy Services at the time. Now Indiana Disability Rights. Um, I've got a son, uh, with autism. So, you know, I definitely had a passion for, uh, people with disabilities, and, you know, I've been at at IDR for, I guess, right around nine years now, Um, and so we've divided up into teams maybe three or four years ago, and I've been doing just exclusively, basically, education law since then, so.
0: Are you guys, would you say, pretty busy?
1: Uh yeah yeah I think so um you know I mean with 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 education you know there's there's a little bit of ebb and flow but you know definitely now right now during the the school year it's it's definitely busy like there's no shortage of of uh, cases. potential cases coming in <laughs> okay. Yeah. so yeah
0: okay great um so I guess you know the the hope for today's conversation is um, to let our listeners know what their your, their students or their child's rights are mm-hmm. and and specifically um pediatric oncology. So the mm-hmm. parents of children with a cancer diagnosis, what special ed um, rights do they have? and um, What's their eligibility? Um, what's a 504? What's an IEP? So um, I wonder if we can just dive right in and what, what is a 504 and who's eligible for, for that? And what are the goals of yeah. that program?
1: So 504 and what that means is section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of nineteen seventy three, so it's been around since nineteen seventy three. It's one of the first um, kind of like of the sort of like modern disability laws. It's it's kind of like one of the, basically the first one out there. Um, the important thing about it is, I well, from a big picture, is it kind of started people thinking about disability as as a civil right and civil rights context. Um, and so, and you know, so it's it's the oldest. It, it started this kind of trend. Um. So, Section Five Hundred Four is is the section of the law that has this, that you know what gives you these rights. Basically, you're eligible for it, and 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 it can apply it outside the uh, <laughs> the education context. Um, so, uh, but basically, anybody who has a physical or mental impairment which substantially limits uh, a major life activity. I mean, life activity is pretty broad, but education is considered a life activity, so that makes it easy for. Uh, uh, eligibility so that's that's um, basically anybody who's eligible and and the idea is um, that y- you cannot be excluded from participation in or denied the benefits of or be subject to discrimination under a, a program that that's run by anybody gets that, that receives federal assistance so obviously schools would receive federal assistance so again the idea is that that you're you get to enjoy the benefits or, or participate in the program and the program is receiving an education. So the, the, the goal is to give you, uh, give the student, um, you know, accommodations or, or things that allow them to benefit from the program.
0: So in summary that everybody is afforded the right to obtain a free and appropriate education and that the public school system, um, you should should work together with families um, to provide accommodations to make that possible.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, so this, you know, in the case of a kid with with cancer, you know, if, if they had something that was because of their cancer, then cancer would probably be considered a disability, right? As long as it's you know a, some sort of physical causes a physical or mental impairment that limits your ability to receive an education, then then you're eligible. So, um, yeah. So so anything that we kind of accommodations will be necessary to okay. allow that person to, to and, get an education.
0: And the scope of children that could have a 504 plan, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you could you could have a 504 if you had a broken leg, right? Or if you had a cancer diagnosis or if you had ADHD.
1: Yeah. And, and it's designed to be pretty broad. I mean, I, I think maybe one limiting is how long, you know, the, the, the disability sort of like lasts. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, basically any of those things would count. And, and the other thing is, I, I, I think there's sort of this perception that, like, 504 is what you get if you don't qualify for an IEP or I, under IDEA. Yeah, I'm which, glad you're,
0: you're bringing that up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So tell us about that. Yeah. Longer.
1: So, um, I mean, that is probably, and how it's looked at today, an, an accurate statement. But but the point is 504 was created before IDEA even existed. So a lot of things that you can get under... Um, under a 504 plan, or, you know, like if IDA never happened, I mean, you could still get a lot right. of things under, under 504. So it's not designed to just sort of be like a fill in the gap. If you don't yeah. qualify for IDA, it was, it was created first. And, and, you know, it's, it's written like because it's older, kind of like more simply and more generally. Um, so under, you know, and, and I was supposed to transition into like a regular IEP in a little bit, I'm, I'm assuming, but, um, you know, un, under that, there's like, Lots of regulations, lots of rules. You just kind of look up where a 504. It's it's just kind of this broad language, and there are probably in reality there are sort of like these more specific rules, but they're developed through people you know, like filing court cases and judges making decisions, and and those that becoming kind of like the law through the through case law or through decisions. So it's 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 not as maybe clear cut as to all the specifics, but but it's but the the general law, um, you know, is it, not it's not just a you don't you don't qualify for an IDA. So this is what you get. I mean, it it is a sort of a comprehensive general law.
0: And we hear like, you know, parents talk and communicate and try to support each other. So we hear all the time in our clinic families and parents saying, well, I think we should try to get him an IEP. You know, my friend's kid has an IEP and almost feeling like the 504 is like this redheaded stepchild of the IEP. And like, He's getting less, he or she's getting less services because, because yeah. they have a 504. And that's, of course, not the case.
1: Right. So, the, yeah. So, I mean, again, there's probably, like, the sort of, like, the theory in the, in the, and in practice. So, in theory, there's really no reason that a 504 should be less than an IEP. Yeah. Um, you know, probably in practice, if you can get an IEP, like, why not? Because there, there are all these, like, very set rules. You know, you can look it up, um, you know. What, what exactly to do in the, these situations. And, and it's just a little bit more clear cut. But, but you know, theoretically, there's no reason you can't get a lot of the things you could get under an IEP through a 504.
0: And you, w- would you say that a child with a cancer diagnosis that's yeah. going to be on treatment, receiving chemotherapy, radiation, yeah. surgery, etc., um, would benefit from a 504 plan?
1: Yeah, and, and so I think it looks at, is there something that you need the school to do beyond just sort of sitting in your general education classroom and, and, you know, what what any other student would need to be able to benefit from education. And probably in reality, a lot of kids with cancer, that that is the case. I mean, they're going to be missing a lot of school with doctor's appointments. Do you want something to account for that? Maybe they need to go down to the nurse during the day. Um, You know, maybe they're going to be more tired. Maybe they need like limited assignments. You know, if if any, (laughs) if there's anything that, that because of their, cancer diagnosis that would make it sort of like more difficult to benefit from education, to benefit from school, that then, um, you know, like a quote unquote normal student or just the general ed population, um, yeah, then then they probably would qualify and then they would probably benefit from it. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I think that's well put too, that if there's anything from their cancer diagnosis that's going to impede on how they learn at school or Mm -hmm. affect their education, then they could benefit from it.
1: Yeah I, yeah, I would agree with that. Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, so you've also been m- mentioning IDEA, Article 7. What, what is that?
1: Okay. So IDEA is the uh, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Um, it, it dates back to the like 1970s. It's been called IDEA since about 1990, but there was like a earlier version. So um, that's just, it's, it's specific to kind of K through 12. Well, there's, there's different parts to it. The the part that we're kind of talking about and <laughs> for today is is uh, you know kindergarten through you know high school, um, and and that's like kind of where you the traditional IEP individualized education program. That's what that comes from. Um, uh, so the the goal of that program is to receive free appropriate public education or FAPE. Of course, you got to talk in acronyms like any other <laughs> yeah. other situation. So that's that's uh, called. But but that's the, the goal of the program is for kids with a disability to receive uh, FAPE or free appropriate public education. Okay. Yeah.
0: And so, and who you know, speaking to eligibility for. Um, a
1: child to benefit from Article 7 or IDEA. Yeah. Oh, and, and maybe I should just say since Article 7 is um, the regulations in Indiana that that implement IDEA. So IDEA okay. is a federal law, and then basically what it says is states, you can get funding for this program if you kind of have these regulations that comply with the federal law, and then Article 7 is the Indiana Okay. regulations that, that put Indiana in, in compliance with the okay. federal so IDEA. So IDEA is
0: this big umbrella that yeah. all the states are under, and Right. Article 7 is, you know, Indiana, this is how we're yeah. going to do it. So in
1: Indiana, you'll hear it referred to as Article 7, and basically what Article 7 technically means is that's just the regulations. Yeah. 5.11, IAC 7, you don't need to remember that, but yeah. that's the regulations that implement IDEA for the federal law. So mm-hmm. that you'll hear both terms, IDEA or Article 7. They kind of right. mean the same thing yeah. for Indiana, if you're in Indiana.
0: And these aren't, um, you know, Article 7 and the details of Article 7 aren't yeah. locked away in some big law building somewhere. You can Google Article yeah. 7, you yeah. can Google IDEA, and you can read up on it and what that all entails, correct? Correct. And he has access to that.
1: Yeah, and um, the Department of Education actually puts out something called Navigating the Course, which is a pretty good um So what is summary. it, IN- um,
0: dot gov, right? uh, yeah, I mean,
1: if you Googled Indiana Department of Education, that'll get you there. Okay. Uh, so navigating the course, or there's, um, you know, if you go to an IEP meeting, generally they'll hand out procedural rights, which is, has a fair amount of information just in that. So, um, and, and those aren't the technical language. I mean, like I said, the, the technical language is easily Googleable. if that's a word, yeah. yeah. <laughs> as well. But, but, I mean, they're pretty good summaries. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it they're there's a lot of information out there for sure. Yeah.
0: And also, so if, you know, the, the guidelines of article seven, those are the minimum requirements that the state has to meet, but of course schools can, can do more than that, but they have to minimally meet those expectations. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. I'd say that's a good way of putting it. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, okay. So what's an IEP?
1: So IEP stands for individualized education program, um, again, the, probably the key word is individualized, so it's, it's basically the plan that's set in place to allow somebody to get FAPE or the free appropriate public education. Um, so uh, once you qualify, um, oh, and you were asking about that earlier, yeah. about eligibility, and I don't think I ever answered that. So the one of the big differences between 504 and um, you know Article 7 or IDEA is that to qualify under IDEA you have to meet one of several listed out eligibility categories um uh, so uh, you know like autism would be one like a physical and or orthopedic you know issue um you know vision hearing type things but um there's sort of they probably would <laughs> some people probably would disagree with calling it a catch-all but I, I think to some degree it is a bit of a catch-all category it's called other health impairment uh-huh. um and so I, that's kind of where cancer would fit under, in, in, in my opinion. Um, so it's something that limits your uh, alertness. I'm just reading off a list here: uh, Heighten uh, your environment, your, your sensitive environmental stimuli. Um, uh, you know, uh, it has to do with the chronic or acute health problems. But that's the, probably keywords for yeah, us right there. Yeah,
0: it's that chronic and acute health problems. Yeah, most of like. Um, that our kids in the oncology clinic, if they were to get an IEP as a result of their right. cancer diagnosis, that they kind of fall under that. Oh, yeah. Or oh, OHI, you'll hear a lot of Yeah, uh,
1: exactly. Other health members, OHI. Because, yeah, again, you have to talk in acronyms in this field. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so, so that's the key word, chronic or health or, or acute health problems. The other would be that adversely affects the student's educational performance. And, um they do list out. It's they have one like one of these lists that problems such as so like if if certain conditions are are directly listed, it doesn't mean that if, if your condition isn't on the list, you don't qualify. But if you're on the list, that That's makes a good it point to make. makes yeah. it pretty easy. And, and yeah. leukemia is actually specifically listed. But I mean, I think for pretty much any cancer diagnosis, you could make that same argument that you have a chronic or acute health problem that adversely affects educational performance. So um, you know, as long as you have that, that then then you're eligible. So. Um, and then, sorry to transition all that, but then we were yeah. talking about IAP. So, uh, the, the IEP is just the program in place that, that allows, I mean, in, in, a big picture that allows you to get FAPE. Um, so there's going to be like goals of the program, uh, you know, very specific goals made that the student needs, needs to work on. Um, you know, there's like a statement of their, sort of like their, their present levels. Uh, there's going to be a list of accommodations, um, and yeah. those
0: goals are pretty objective too. And I mean they're um, and they detail out like who's gonna carry that goal out, who's responsible for the goal, when are we, you know, meeting again to see if the child's progressing with this goal, correct?
1: Yeah, that that's right. Um and you know, and there's supposed to be um, you know, objective measurements. Um, you know, I mean again with that there's you sort of have to be careful to it maybe as, as as a parent or, or student attending one of these conferences that, 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 that it really is an objective way to measure it. Um, but, but yeah, definitely that's, they're supposed to be written in an, an objective way. So. Okay. Uh,
0: and I've heard um, parents in our clinic before trying to navigate the differences between an IEP and a 504 say things like, does my child have to be evaluated for an IEP? And what does that even mean?
1: So you have to meet eligibility criteria, and there's probably, and there will have to be some sort of evaluation or assessment to determine um, eligibility. That isn't the only reason to do an evaluation, but that is is one of them. So,
0: so would that look like observations in the classroom? Would that look like an actual um, evaluation or? I guess, test for a lack of better words? Yeah. So what does that look like? I, I mean,
1: there should be some, you know, some sort of written report by, you know, a qualified person. So, you know, it, it's it's probably in reality going to be more than just, you know, classroom observation. You know, for example, autism, right? I mean, you yeah. probably as just a general ed, you know, licensed teacher, you're not really qualified to make an autism. I mean, not that general ed teachers can't sense whether a kid is likely to have autism or not, but just from a... You know, just uh, you Aren't know, I, to be doing yeah, exactly. Evaluation
0: and right. a child certainly with that. So there's yeah. probably gonna be a
1: school psychologist that runs some tests and, and makes sure. a determination based on your know, sort of objective criteria. So, are yeah.
0: outside evaluations um, are those provided to um, ha- make a child eligible for an IEP? Like let's say Riley or a Children's Hospital rather um, does a neuropsych evaluation and sends that to school. Mm-hmm. Um, would that help in an eligi- eligibility process for a child?
1: Yeah, so the rule is that the school has to consider you know, parent-provided or outside evaluations. Um, I mean, they don't have to, to follow them necessarily. I mean, they have the right to conduct their own evaluation. They have to, when they're doing their evaluation, they have to consider outside evaluations. Now, you know, again, in the case of cancer... Probably Riley or a children's hospital is going to have some expertise that a regular school system wouldn't have, so I would think that they would want to value yeah, that right very highly.
0: I need a second opinion at
1: this. Channel yeah. Has.
0: We're
1: exactly. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think that would definitely be an area where an outside evaluation would be would be very valuable. So, yeah. it'd be to me, it'd be very hard to, you know, for a school to say, well, you know, our school psychologist ran some tests. We don't really yeah. doubt whether they have cancer or not, so we're yeah. just going to ignore this evaluation. You know what I mean? So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sometimes I think we see that a lot with like a speech or OT or PT, yeah. occupational therapy or yeah. physical therapy, um, like an outside evaluation school will say, well, we'll still do our own evaluation mm-hmm. because they might be wanting to do um, or provide interventions or accommodations that are school specific, like OT, yeah. like how the child's holding a pencil. So they might do, they might take those outside evaluations, but still be doing their own and that's appropriate and okay.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and even, you know, in, in this situation, I mean, the school might not be questioning whether or not they have cancer, but how to sort of apply what, how to, you know, what sort of benefits they could receive from an IEP, it might be something that is very school specific and having, you know, their own school person do an evaluation is, could be perfectly acceptable. So I think just, just because a school wants to and, and, and can definitely has a right to do their own evaluation doesn't, you know automatically mean there's something sort of like negative going on there but um but they do have to consider the outside evaluations
0: and if you're a parent that thinks i think my, my child might be eligible or benefit from a 504 or an iep what do you do next
1: i would ask for an eligibility evaluation in writing um technically it doesn't have to be in writing but why not then you have proof <laughs> that, that you've done it um and I schools
0: I, have an obligation if I submit that on November 1st? Hey, I'd like my kid to be evaluated for an IEP or 504. Mm-hmm. Do they have an obligation with how many business days until they have to do that?
1: So they have to respond within 10 instructional days. So days basically that the class meets, you know, that the, the school is in session. Um, and they have to respond in writing. And then if they decide to do an evaluation, they have 50 days from basically when the parent signs consents to complete the evaluation. Again, that's instructional days. So, you know, if you ask for the evaluation in May, it you know, might be in, in the fall Till they're obligated it's to to do it because yeah, of summer break. Okay.
0: Um, and should parents be at those meetings? So school's evaluating the child. Yep, the, the child is eligible for a 504 um, we're gonna we're gonna meet mom and put this together and we'll send you a copy. Is that correct? Or should a parent be present at that meeting?
1: Are, are you talking about the evaluation itself or the meeting after the?
0: So um, the actual meeting.
1: Yeah. Um, so probably once that you know, we'll say for the so once the evaluation is done, what will happen next is called a case conference. The, you know this is um, well it could be under either, but more IDEA specific. Um, and so a case conference is basically a team of people to meet to determine services. And in this case, probably the first thing that would be discussed is whether or not they're eligible. Then if they are eligible, an IEP would be created. So there are certain mandatory people that have to be at this case conference. The parents, or if the kid's over 18, the, the, the student themselves, are a mandatory part of the, the, the case conference. So yes, they, they would definitely have a right to be there. Okay.
0: Um, and I know sometimes um, we hear parents say... Um, because, because we believe working in our outpatient oncology clinic that most of the time um, your cancer diagnosis is gonna impede on on your education I mean from attendance to lo- alone mm-hmm. to um, some of the deficits we see kids have with um, what people you know like to call chemo brain executive mm-hmm. functioning skills uh, so so we, we encourage all of our families to talk about a 504. Um, mm-hmm. With, with schools, um, but we hear parents say all the time, so we went to school, we talked about a 504, and school just said, yeah, we're, we're going to do all those things. I don't think I signed anything, though. I think we have a plan. Um, if a 504 is in place, should a parent be signing something or seeing a copy of parent rights?
1: Well, there should definitely be a written plan okay. that they have a copy of and that they you know, in some sense ag- agree to or, or were a part of the decision-making. And, again, that's where 504 gets it's a little trickier because, you know, you can't point to, hey, this exact regulation says you have to, you know, these procedural rights. But, but I mean, a 504 plan, yes, I mean, you have to. The, the parent should be a part of that decision-making. There should be, it should generate a, a, at a minimum a written plan.
0: Okay. And um, typically um, at those meetings yeah. um, they might dictate on that plan who was present at the meeting and those people signed. Does that sound correct?
1: I mean, that's good practice. Certainly in an IEP, um, that's re- essentially required. But, um, you know, at a 504, that would definitely be good practice to have that record. Okay. Yeah.
0: But a 504 isn't just a conversation or an agreement between staff and family that, hey, these are the things my my child needs at school. It's a written plan. Right. That's yeah, and that's okay. a good point.
1: And, and maybe sort of piggyback on that. Yeah. Sometimes... You might hear, you know, a teacher or a school say, well, we're already doing all this stuff anyway, so there's really no need to have a plan. Yeah. Well, you know, doing all you know, from a sort of lawyer or attorney perspective, doing yeah. all those things doesn't like alleviate your responsibility to have the plan, right? I mean, theoretically, yeah. you could be providing the, the greatest services in the world, but that doesn't yeah. mean if the kid is, is eligible for an IEP that they still don't have a right to an IEP or if yeah. they're eligible for 504 plan, they still have a right to a 504 plan. So just... A statement that we're already doing all that that I mean that might be true and that be well and good and even well intentioned but it doesn't end the school's responsibility to create a plan if, if, if it's legally required
0: yeah and sometimes I feel from parents and um, I don't blame them that that can feel uncomfortable if a school says well we're already doing this we don't need a plan so do you have any suggestions on you know what could a what could a parent say back to that to just kind of kindly encourage, you know, I, I would like to have this in a written format because...
1: Well, I, th- I think the main reason is then it's clear on both sides. I mean, it's, you may not have to say exactly like this, but it sort of offers protection for the school too because if it's not written down, then the plan is kind of whatever... Everybody thinks of the plan and the parent might think Yeah. And the parent, might think, yeah. Yeah. And the parent yeah. might think that the plan has all this like yeah. stuff that the school doesn't really think is on there. So yeah. it's I mean, I think it's good for both sides. It makes the communication clear. Yeah. Um and it's you know,
0: pretty atypical. Sorry to yeah, okay. go ahead. But yeah. it's pretty atypical a child would just see one staff member all day, right? So they'd see yeah. possibly, you know, music or art or gym or um, and then certainly if they're in middle school or high school, they could have eight teachers. So it's also to keep – I mean, it's a written document so that everybody that interacts with this child um, should get correct and then be aware of their needs.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a very good point, too, is that – yeah, I mean, that would be another reason is that it's then everybody knows. Um, yeah, I mean, as, as far as sort of the – how many people are have actually read the IEP, I mean, that's where their 504 it gets – a little gray, but certainly anybody that regularly interacts with the, the yeah. kid should, the student should, you know, know functionally know what it does or what the responsibilities are under that plan.
0: So, is a child, um, let's let's just say it's a sophomore with a leukemia diagnosis we've had our 504 uh meeting the plan is in place is that child responsible for giving a copy of that plan to each teacher or is the school responsible for each teacher being aware of that plan because it's not always that every single teacher would be at that meeting um
1: Uh, yeah the the school would be responsible okay yeah the the student wouldn't have to carry around a a copy of the plan okay
0: and same for an iep
1: correct yeah
0: so what is ADA? And that actually might be a term more people are familiar with.
1: Yeah, ADA stands for the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, it was created in the early 90s, 1991, I believe. So, um, again, it's, it's a pretty comprehensive uh, disability law. It's um,
0: eligible to benefit from anything that ADA would offer.
1: Yeah, so it, it its eligibility is kind of similar to the 504, and it, do you have, a like, a physical or mental impairment that impacts a major life activity, um, and again, this is interpreted very broadly. There was actually some um, like a legislative change. Not, I guess it's been a few years, but that specifically said, yeah, you know, th- that that it's to be interpreted very, very broadly. So, um, so pretty much any major life activity that that will be affected by a physical or mental impairment, you're going to be eligible.
0: And yep. when I think of ADA, I think of ADA accessibility. I think of like a wheelchair ramp, or yeah. um, and I wonder if that might be what most people associate it. With. Yeah,
1: and and I think that that's a big part of it. So there's different sections um, that there's they're, they're called titles. Title one has to do with employment, and then the kind of the big ones. Uh, other big uh, title one's a big one, but other two. Bigger ones is Title Two, it has access to do with government services or, or like state and local governments, and then Title Three is for what's called places of public accommodation, which is a lot of businesses. Um, so when you're talking about like wheelchair ramps and and, and that sort of thing, there, there's a very specific set of guidelines that um, you know businesses that would be subject to Title Three, or you know, in, in some cases, state and local governments um, under under Title Two have to follow to be. ADA compliant. So, like a ramp for a wheelchair has, you know, can't be a certain, can't be unnecessarily steep or there can't sure. be steps leading to the building. And, sure. and, you know, like a bathroom stall has to fit so I many specifications. That, that is all part of the ADA law and it has to do with accessibility, which is, you know, an important part of ADA.
0: Okay. So, ADA is federally um, funded. And mandated?
1: Yeah, it's a federal law that that's that for Title II, state and lo- local governments have to uh, abide by, and Title Three places of public accommodation, or businesses have to follow.
0: Okay, so if businesses or organizations claim to be ADA compliant, do they receive federal funding?
1: Uh, probably not. I, it, it's not really... A, in general, a funding source, it's okay. like, hey, this is what you need to do to make your business accessible. So you open a restaurant, uh, you know, open to the public, you know, and, and the only door going in is steps. <laughs> then you are you you know, you have to go up steps to get sure. in the only door. Then you're okay. not ADA compliant. So they're, they're like a list of regulations that you have to follow. Um,
0: I guess in asking that, I'm thinking of private schools. And if a private school was ADA compliant, mm-hmm. um, do they generate any federal funding?
1: Um, I, I don't believe they would under the ADA. I okay. mean, they might get federal funding under other sources. Okay. Yeah. And
0: while we're talking about private schools, do private schools have any responsibility to um, the eligibility and guidelines of IDEA, Article 7? 504,
1: IEP, any of that stuff? Um, So, I guess sort of taking them one at a time. 504, it would be dependent on whether they get federal funding, because that's what 504 applies to is, you know, organizations or groups that receive federal funding. So, if they receive federal funding, then essentially there isn't any difference between a public school 504 plan and a private school 504 plan. Okay. Um, If they don't get federal funding, then 504 just wouldn't apply to them. Now, under IDEA, Um, there's something called an individualized service plan or using the acronym ISP, um, that's kind of like an IEP, but the group that implements that is, um, is the public school where the private school is located.
0: Like within their district?
1: Within their, yeah, within their district. So, you know, like you go to, you live in school district X, your go, your private school is located in school district Y, school district Y is responsible for, having this this ISP when, again, the, the overall goal is to have uh, FAPE, reappropriate public education, but it's the, the public school that's implementing it at where the private school is. Um, so, um, you know, like, so, like, uh, occupational therapy, maybe the student needed that, or uh, physical therapy, things, things like that. Where, where it gets a little bit more tricky is um, the classroom teacher mm-hmm. is an employee of the, Private school, not the public school, so they're not really, they don't fall under the ISB um, in, in the same way. So th- th- that's kind of where it makes it a little trickier.
0: From my experience, so just correct me if I'm wrong, but, but like you said, private schools mm-hmm. um, can work with um, the, the, the public school district, and in um, each district can be different in what they essentially agree upon offering up private schools. So maybe um, that district will say, hey, we're going to allocate X amount of funds and help um, private schools within this area be able to implement homebound services yeah. or um, vision um, vision or PT support. So that can be different for each district. Does that sound correct?
1: Uh, I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier of that the law is the minimal compliance and you have to comply with the law minimally, (laughs) Um, you know, and then you can go above and beyond. Uh, Funding is is an important, I guess, concept in that there is no, like, funding excuse, for lack of a better term, for schools to use, whether it's private or public. In other words, they can't go into an IEP meeting or an ISP meeting and say, well, we kind of would like to perform this or we think this is necessary for FAPE, but We don't have the funds to do it. I mean, that's not a a recognized... Even uh, if
0: you're in a private school?
1: Excuse me. Uh, For the public school, implementing the ISP, that wouldn't be a recognized um, exception.
0: Okay. So I guess, you know, it can look differently depending on what private school you may... Your your child may be enrolled in and the relationship they have within that district. Um, But generally... It shouldn't be the mindset of parents wh- whose child is in a private school to think we aren't eligible for anything. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I, I would start out again. Just ask for a eligibility evaluation. the The public school where the private school would um, be located would be obligated to at least do the, You know, you, you know the same thing. Respond within ten days that they're not going to do an evaluation and have some written reason as to why they're not. But you yeah. can challenge or do the evaluation. And then, you know, with the private school, maybe just start out by asking for a 504 plan and let them figure out whether yeah. they're required to do it or not. You know, I mean, that's, might as well. Maybe they, they would do it even if they're not technically required to. Okay.
0: Um, so, okay, let's talk through just kind of steps in advocacy. So, I know, I know that you know, Keith, that my role in the children's hospital is to help families kind of navigate a school plan, whatever that might look like um, upon a cancer diagnosis. But um, so while I'm going to schools and setting in on case conferences and um, helping support schools and parents with 504s and IEPs, um, I also want to encourage parents to be that number one advocate. So while in my role, I'm helping doing that advocacy, certainly, and a lot of parents aren't privy to any special ed law, why would you be? Um, They kind of get dumped into this world and are trying to figure it out. Um, But definitely along the way, I want to help encourage parents um, and show them the tools to help them also be that advocate. So do you have any um, kind of steps or thoughts to help parents navigate advocacy? Because it can be kind of scary. I think a lot of times parents step into these meetings and feel totally out of their comfort zone and a lot of times take the word of what schools say they can and can't do as, well, that must be what they can and can't do, so.
1: Yeah, I, it, yeah, I mean, I agree with all the, your, your thoughts there, and I mean, obviously, from a um, self-advocacy standpoint, one of the important things is that, you know, you're probably not going to be involved in the, that child's life forever on a permanent basis, and, you know, if, if they were to call me, you know, as an attorney, it's, you know, at some point, the case ends, and you, you've got a and the parent and the, um, School have to work together for the next maybe 10 years being how old <laughs> the school is, you know, yeah. or that the, the yeah. student is. So, it, it, um, yeah, certainly is something that is important to do. I, I guess my, my general thought is the first look at, and, and again, this is maybe presuming that there's already some sort of plan in place, whether it's sure. an IEP or 504. Sure. And then, is, is your issue that that, um, that, that like there's it somebody that is, yeah, is it being implemented? So, yeah. is is the student. Is, is there somebody like the teacher that isn't doing something that's written that they're supposed to do in in the in that plan? And if that's the case, I would just talk to that, per, as a starting point, talk to that person. You know, you don't have to call a case conference. You don't have to have a big meeting. Just, like, hey, send an email. Like, you know, I thought you were going to have some sort of, like, journal that lists their, you know, assignments every day. Or, you know, gives an update on their day. That isn't being done. Can you start doing that? Um, you know, so th- that's... The starting so start,
0: point. Start with that teacher. Exactly. Another example that's coming to my mind is a child that's having, due to his brain tumor and related surgery, has double vision mm-hmm. issues. And so we've requested that all of his work be blown up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if that one teacher isn't doing that, you're saying... That um, you would encourage that that family or parent to start with that teacher. Hey, um, right. we're noticing that's not being done. That is on his plan. Can can we try to implement that?
1: Yeah, and I think both from a standpoint of that's the easiest, lowest level that you can do. So yeah. you're not making it more difficult for yourself. Yeah. And also, I mean, assuming this is somebody that you're gonna have to work with for yeah an ongoing basis. If you kind of immediately you know, like tell on them for lack of a better sure, term and call, sure. you know call their boss and have this huge yeah. business, you know that's going to be kind of damaging to that relationship. So at least start at that level.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, what about, um, so and we're just kind of working through this list. Um, so if you feel that the IEP or 504 plan itself is not correct, like the setting is inappropriate or doesn't include a need services, call a case conference.
1: Yeah. And the reason for that is, um, you know, if you want an actual change the document itself in other words that it just isn't the teacher or whoever an aide not following the plan but you need an actual change to the plan then there's normally like a process that has to yeah. be gone through to do that so telling the teacher no i want this instead of that isn't really effective because you're asking for an actual change to the plan so procedurally you need to have that meeting and it's probably good at that point to have the whole case conference get together and talk about it and discuss yeah. you know what what is a good change and how to exactly to implement that and so that that would be necessary at that point to call a case conference.
0: So that's good to differentiate those. You'd, you'd be going to a teacher if something already existing in your child's plan is not being done. However, if you feel like you'd like to make a change to the plan, um, like let's say in a common example for my specific population, so children on treatment for cancer, um, you know, let's say their treatment plan totally changes and, and their attendance is different. Now we have to start implementing homebound all of a sudden. You would need to call for a case conference.
1: Yes, that's, yeah. yeah, that's definitely you right. You go to yeah. the
0: teacher and say, "Hey, they're coming less. Can can you just do homebound? You need to request <laughs> to have another to a meeting. Exactly. And just to specify too, and be clear, a parent has the right is the child has a five before or an IEP, you can request to meet at any time.
1: Yeah, you could. The, the, yeah, the, exactly. You can request to meet at any time. So
0: if school says, "Well, that child's annual IEP meeting." you should be meeting regardless once every year isn't until december it's only october we'll just wait
1: yeah you have that right to say no we want to do that sooner absolutely okay
0: um so what about if you feel like um there is a rights violation after an unsuccessful case conference um call idr or other advocacy groups or a private attorney let's talk about that
1: yeah so um basically the thought there is, you know, the, the case conference is, I mean, it is designed to you know, kind of like work through disagreements and be a yeah. team effort and come up with a team plan. I mean, obviously there's going to be some situations where that just doesn't happen. Um, so there are steps beyond that, um, that, that you can do. Um, that, that's kind of where I, I, to me, it's a good idea if, if you're at that point to, you know, look at an advocacy group, you know, like, obviously, Indiana Display <laughs> <laughs> Rights, where I work, I think we do a really good job, you know, obviously, uh, you know, there's, you know, InSource, there's other uh, groups, you know, for here in Indiana that, that, that provide advocacy. Um, that, that's, uh, and the steps beyond that would be, um, so you, you can't agree at a case conference here, sort of like legal rights would be one to um, request mediation that Indiana, this is in Indiana specific, but probably is IDA and other states too but uh, in the Department of Education will provide a mediator at no cost either the school or the parents and have this mediator will you know have have a mediation and try and work yeah. out the differences yeah. and um, you know they're, they're not a decision maker they're not a judge that they can't sort of like force one side to, to do anything but but you know they are trained mediators and they they can help work out uh, you know the disagreement and hopefully the two sides come to a a mediation agreement there. The, uh, another option is what's called a, a Department of Education complaint, where if you're, you know, the parent or the student, you can really, anybody can go fill out on the again, Indian Department of Education website and and just fill out what your complaint is, and then they'll assign an investigator, and, there, and there'll be, like, timelines for that investigator to do an investigation to determine if yeah. there was a rights violation. And again, both of those are kind of designed to be done, um, you know, without needing an, an you know, attorney or an advocate, um, you know, obviously we, <laughs> we think that might, you know, if, if you're to that point, it might make some sense to, you know, have, have us there. or, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the, the, sort of like the most, I guess the, the, biggest step would be what's called due process where there is an actual like administrative law hearing, um, uh, where, where there's a, a, a independent hearing officer or, a, a, like a judge, um, assigned. Um, and so both sides present their cases like a like a court case, um, and you know the, the judge would actually make a ruling. The independent hearing officer would make a ruling uh, on the issue. And, and at that point, <laughs> you really really want an attorney because it is like a mini court case. Like all the rules of evidence, so, you know, if you watch <laughs> uh, cases on TV, you know, like mm-hmm. objection, hearsay, all that yeah. sort of stuff, you know, applies. And you, you I mean, it's it is. Basically, like a mini court case. It's not in a courtroom, but you know there's a hearing officer that you have to present evidence to, and and, and Because that sort of your
0: thing. child has legal rights within yeah. um, the public school setting, right? So exactly protected by those, and of course, like any legal rights that we have, if um, those are being violated, then you can, you can go to court. And, and
1: it, exactly, that. it's yeah. it's a just a, a built-in way for you to, um, yeah, to have have. We yeah, have, have another outlet besides just sort of trying to convince yeah. the school.
0: So, one, parents should never feel like um, that if you can't agree upon an accommodation or what the plan should look like, parents should never feel obligated or forced to, to sign or agree upon those. That There are options um, that you can seek the support of advocacy groups and, and due process if necessary correct?
1: Correct. Yes. And
0: then also, um, can you clarify our, can parents legally, um, bring anybody that they want to those meetings? Can they bring an advocate? can, they bring a lawyer to those meetings? Yeah. the case conference. You
1: know? Um, it's so probably good. Courteous, courteous to let <laughs> schools know. Sure. I don't know if there's like real hard legal obligation on that, but I, I would let them know just how to practice. Okay. Uh, but yeah, you can bring somebody, um, you know, we, we, uh, so at Indiana Display Rights, um, that's kind of like when we first get involved, or generally our first step would be to have an advocate. Um, so not me as the attorney, but an advocate go t- with the parent to the case conference and see if we can just work it out at that point at that case conference stage so some of these other sort of like more formal or more litigious steps aren't, aren't necessary.
0: Yeah, and that doesn't have to feel like, you know, having an advocate there, let's say also for just an initial meeting. You know, yeah. everybody agrees that this child's eligible for a 504 let's go ahead and meet um, it's not abrasive or it's not um, you're not setting you know like the tone I guess and it's not negative for you for you to be bringing an advocate you're you're not familiar with What a five before is, or maybe you're certainly not familiar, maybe with what a child with leukemia needs when they're at school. You've never done it before, so bringing an advocate doesn't have to mean that you're upset with school. I guess, for lack of right,
1: yeah, it's it's a it's a support person. Well, and the other thing is, again, you know, in theory and how it should work, and probably how it works a lot of times is that it's you know a team decision, so it's just one other person in the team. But with that. (laughs) <laughs> the team is going to be generally the parent and, you know, like five or six people from the school. So you might just, you know, if it is something that's where you don't quite see it eye to eye, just from a number standpoint, you might feel a little <laughs> out- outnumbered. Corner. Yeah. So yeah. just another person in the right. room. So you're not, you don't feel like, you know, there's this whole like five or six people against you. And you're the only one yeah. saying one thing. And I mean, again, theoretically everybody's supposed to work in a team, but by the time they Absolutely. call us or, or, you know, we get to a situation They're where gonna it's going to sure. then yeah. then that might not be the case. So, yeah.
0: And I think, too, it's important to say that teachers go into teaching because they love kids, hopefully, yeah, yeah. Um, and most of the time. And so, um, and I just know, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm a special ed licensed teacher. I don't remember, any, maybe maybe I had a little, but I don't remember any formal training that I ever had in supporting children with chronic illness or certainly possible life-threatening illness, such as cancer. So I think a lot of times schools don't know. So bringing an advocate, um, you're offering up resources to, it's not just to benefit that child, to benefit and help school support the student.
1: Yeah, well, it's certainly in, in your role, right, where you would have an expertise that, um, you know, a lot of teachers in a, in a school district wouldn't have. I mean, that, yeah, that exactly, that you'd be a resource. So, I mean, I, I, I don't think that a, a school should ever, you know, like think negatively if you bring an advocate. Um, but, but certainly, you know, and and generally it's I'll speak for Indian, Indian disability rights in our group. We're not going there to try and, you know, start unnecessary conflict or fights. We're, we're going there to try and resolve an issue. Right. And then that's the easiest, most straightforward way to get one of our cases resolved is to go to the case conference and have everybody work together and get to an agreement. So, um, you know, it doesn't always happen. You know, we don't, you know, I think there are certain rights that, you know, you are worth standing for not agreeing to, but, but I think that is the, the best way to resolve it if possible. Yeah.
0: Um, so, so in thinking about other steps in advocacy for parents, um, for eligibility, ask for an evaluation. If they deny, call an advocacy group. Um, if they do an evaluation and find your student ineligible, call an advocacy group. Let's talk about that. Yeah.
1: So, once you're eligible, then you have this great tool of the case conference to kind of work out disagreements. Well, so if you request an evaluation, you do it in writing, um, they, they send something back in writing and say, no, we don't, we're, we don't think that we need to do an evaluation. There really isn't a lot of other like recourse. Like you can't have a case conference because you're not eligible. So you're, you're not yeah. in the system. Right. Yeah. So at, at that point, you know, sort of these like lower level type of, uh, of, you know, just kind of general courteous conflict resolution type stuff don't, don't really work as well because you're sort of at a, this pretty big impasse right now. So that situation, you know, if they refuse to do the evaluation, you really think they should, um, you know, that's probably when it's good to get, you know, uh, you know, bring in a, an advocate or a, an attorney or, or somebody that can kind of help you navigate through that because, you know, the, the lower level steps, there really just isn't that process. And then, um, and then obviously once an evaluation's been done and they find that their the student is ineligible again you can't call i mean that, that that will probably be done in a case conference but then beyond that there's just sort of like no steps to sit there and like okay we'll tweak this or tweak that that they found them ineligible you think they are inel- you think they are eligible there's yeah. just no real sort of like middle ground you're kind of at an impasse and one where you might need some legal intervention to to try and get past that
0: yeah and i know um, obviously, you know, parents, we want the world for our kids, so you know, of course, if my son could have a well, one-on-one person with him all day at yeah. school, that'd be great, but of course he doesn't need that. But I I think, I often tell my parents, follow your parent gut, because it typically doesn't lead you astray. If you really feel like, I think my kid should be getting this, because most people are getting this, and they're not, to, to to follow that and ask questions. Um, So, and let's talk about, um, that kind of leads into a nice segue into one of our segments, uh, I wish.
1: Um,
0: Where we ask some of our guests um, what what wish they had for maybe a physician or a family member or a patient. But I'm wondering if you can help me with some wishes for parents that are trying to navigate this.
1: yeah. So, um, like for, for, parents, I would say, um, I mean, I think your whole idea of trusting your gut is good Yeah. and to not be afraid if a school just sort of says, Hey, like we just, we just don't do that or we can't do that to, yeah. you know, to at least look further and like, okay, is that really true? Like, yeah. and maybe in, in, in a nice way, ask, well, what, why? Why can't you do that? Like, is yeah. there a law that says you can't do that? Because yeah. I mean, something just maybe anecdotally that we see a lot is there's people like these broad statements of, oh, we just can't offer this, we can't offer that. And again, going back to just the general reasoning behind these laws is they're meant to be very general and, and, and flexible and individualized. Uh, to meet a student's needs, so there aren't a lot of just pure black and white rules yeah. of we can't yeah. do this or we we just do it this way or we do it that way. They're supposed to meet the needs of the individual. So if you hear that we can't do that, maybe in a nice way, well, oh, well, what what law or what rule prevents you from doing that? If that sounds kind of fishy, then you know, follow, maybe follow up on that a little bit.
0: So. Yeah, and I've I've heard um, parents in know, if I have a four IEP meeting, do that really gracefully where they say, mm-hmm. can't we be doing this? Well, since we don't do that, and they say, well, you know, this special ed stuff is not my my forte. It's mm-hmm. not my world. Can you tell me why you can't do that? Right. I mean, that's not, that's not abrasive or harsh. You're just saying, can you tell me why? And
1: yeah, absolutely. I should uh, be
0: able to tell you.
1: Yeah. Because I mean, I mean, you think about the, the sort of the statement, we can't do that, it, it kind of implies that they would really want to do it. But something is like preventing them from doing it, and so it's like theoretically, then everybody in the same room all wants for this to happen. But schools say, "Well, we just we're not allowed to." Well, why not? Like, why if if we all agree here that that is really the best thing for the student, what what law or what rule is preventing you? And and you know, sometimes there are reasons. Yeah, I would say a lot of times there aren't too. Yeah. So
0: so so that's a that's a good reminder that if you hear we can't do that, um, or we, we have to do this. That might be a red flag, and to dig a little deeper, ask question, why? Absolutely. Okay. Um, so what about, so the, the overall preference of most disability-related laws, including IDEA, is to educate students in the general education setting with peers without disabilities. It's
1: right, like and that's, that. a, yeah, that's a big thing. And obviously, the disability world in general is, in, you know, inclusion, um, you know, to, to have to the maximum extent possible to have people with disabilities in the general community with everybody else. Like, why not? I mean, that's just like a basic civil right. So that's like, that's the starting point, should be the starting point for any education issue as well. I mean, that's a big concept should apply at the education level. You know, if it's, the whole idea is, well, if we can educate this person in a general education setting, and that includes supports to allow them to be in the gen ed setting, let's try and do that as a starting point. Um, you know, with that, obviously, there has to be this whole continuum of services You know, beyond that. I mean, there are certain situations where the gen ed setting might not be appropriate. But the starting point should be, let's figure out a way to see if we can do this. And then if, if we can't, we can't. But with, with appropriate services, trying to have the kid and, and, and the student in the gen ed setting.
0: Yeah. And I've heard families say, it feels like my son or daughter is being punished for their cancer diagnosis. If you feel that way probably something more could be done and and let's go back to the drawing board and and figure out what that child's plan is because a child never should be punished for their chronic illness um
1: yeah absolutely i mean if it feels like a punishment it's probably (laughs) at a minimum not a very effective (laughs) service right so uh yeah
0: um, so most people in the special education field get into this line of work because they want to work with children and with, with disabilities. And we were talking about this earlier. So often these issues can be worked out. Um, I think your default position is that everyone in the room has the interest in doing what's right for the student until you get evidence that that's not the case. So, yeah, I think it's sort of like, easy. giving everybody the benefit of the doubt.
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of easy to become cynical like if yeah. you're you know especially yeah. in in my case where we only get cases where somebody's calling because they're at some sort of an impasse with the school but yeah. I mean I think at least you know to start out with you know most people don't become special education teachers because they really just cannot stand working with kids with special yeah. needs right it's, it's so it's
0: hard work and you know that getting in yeah it, you probably have some passion behind yeah you and pushing you in that right path. Yeah. so I mean
1: I think kind of starting with that being the case. And, you know, I mean, that doesn't mean that you back down from cases where you feel like your student, you know, has a legal right to something that, that would benefit them, yeah. you know. But, um, but you know, I mean, start, starting with that, I think, is is, is good. And, and obviously, you know, when you're talking about your kid, your, your student's um, rights and you feel like they're being violated, like a lot of emotions pop in. And, and, and sometimes I, I think that, you know, <laughs> you need to step back and look. Is this sort of like an, an um like a personal <laughs> disagreement between a student, between a teacher and, and a parent, or is this like a you know a legal right issue? And and maybe be able to kind of like step back from that. It's it's hard sometimes, but um. So I, I mean, I think that's kind of where I was coming from with that. Is just you know it, it, until you're sort of like proven otherwise to have have that as as as, as your assumption again. That's not to say you know just. Go along with anything that's said in a, in a case conference, but you know, to tr- as much as you can to tr- start out with working as a team, and then if that doesn't work, kind then of keeping
0: that thought at yeah. least in the back of your your mind while you're having those conversations. Yeah. Okay, so I'm wondering if we can kind of walk through some mock scenarios and see what what your expertise or thoughts would be on these. So, um, let's just start with this first one. A child is recently diagnosed with leukemia and will be on treatment for three years. At the beginning of treatment, the child will need homebound for maybe six to eight weeks and will slowly transition back into school on a modified schedule paired with some intermittent homebound when health allows. Um, Parents request a five-before plan and accommodations are put in place to support the child. However, as the child starts to transition back to school, Parents and patient report that the accommodations are not being met. The patient often reports that teachers assume the child is unmotivated, disengaged, and has trouble focusing. However, this is not the case. And we are seeing seeing that the patient exhibits issues with their executive functioning skills due to treatment. After several reminders to school staff on side effects due to treatment and the accommodations that are stated on the patient's 504 plan, things are still not being implemented. What can the family do next?
1: Um, so as, as a starting point, this uh, student has a 504 plan. So I would at least look at, maybe do we want to look at eligibility for an IEP? I mean, th- they have leukemia that is listed as one of the categories under other health impairment for eligibility under an IEP. That um, would seem like there's pretty good evidence that this is impacting the student's educational performance. So I, 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 if I was a parent, the first thing I would do is at least request an evaluation for an IEP and and see how that turns out. Um, one of the big issues here is um, implement, implementation of the 504 plan itself. Um, it sounds like kind of in the scenario that the parent did try informally talking to the teacher staff, which is the good, kind of like a good first step, so that, that, that was definitely good there. Um, So then you're kind of at the stage where you're probably time to call a meeting, right? You've you've tried some informal talking to the teacher. That hasn't worked. Um, And and by the way, um, you can do all this 504 work Mm -hmm. while the IEP evaluation is going on, right? There's nothing that says because they're evaluating for an IEP that you can't also ask for 504 changes while they're doing the evaluation. Because if you remember, know, yeah, yeah, it takes fifty instructional days, or they have up to fifty instructional days. Exactly. Okay. So, I mean, you could ask for the evaluation. If they agree to do an evaluation. Go ahead and have a five or four meeting. Why not? Right. <laughs> um, so, um, then I think it comes to a question: is like, okay, well, does the school recognize that there is an executive functioning issue? Is that something that, that they like believe to be correct? And if they question that, then maybe it's time. To have that as something that you know, either you know, if you have a, something that your like doctor can bring a note or you know the letter or you have documentation of that, then then definitely bring that to the meeting. So they they're on this. They should be at that point on this on board with you that yes, this isn't just them, you know, daydreaming or whatever the case may be. That there is a medical reason, and, and you know, bring that to to the um, to the meeting. Um, you know, if if, the, if they doubt that. Um, you know, again, you, you have the outside evidence. They have to at least consider it. You know, you could request an evaluation on that. I mean, at that point, hopefully they're not
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. still doubting. Um, yeah. and, and then you're working from a standpoint of, okay, this is – we've all sort of agreed now that there are some executive functioning issues. Let's build a plan around that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I guess if, if all those things fail, either they don't evaluate for an IEP or they refuse – with a lot of evidence to recognize executive function as an issue or create a, an appropriate plan, you know, there's always the fail-safe of calling <laughs> an yeah. advocacy group or or one of these more okay. other steps. So.
0: Um, and also really quick, what is homebound? You.
1: Um, So under under um, an IP, one of the things you have to do is create, uh, agree to a setting which education is to. De- take place, as I kind of talked about earlier, yeah. obviously the preference is in the general ed setting. Um, there are certain situations um, where that homebound, meaning literally being educated at home, might be the most appropriate setting. And I, I think in, in the situation with cancer, that might come up pretty frequently, you know, if you're an you know, immune type issue or something like that, where you know, it, you doesn't really say for the, for the, student to go into you know the classroom with all the germs and stuff that so homebound might be their education setting where they're best able to get an education so that that's all that means it's it's being educated at home so that the school would still have a duty uh, because to provide a free appropriate public education to that student but it would be in the home setting
0: Because sometimes a child isn't medically able to physically be at school, specifically with our population, because of treatment or they're being hospitalized or they're immune compromised. Mm -hmm. So they still are deserving of an education, but that may have to take place in the home.
1: Absolutely. They still have that same right to free appropriate public education. And so their IEP should specify where that setting is and it might be at home.
0: And in intermittent, just meaning that the child would be able to attend sometimes, but then also get some homebound hours.
1: Exactly. Well. And, and intermittent is sort of interesting because it, it's not a word yeah. that actually appears in yeah. IDEA or yeah. Article 7. So it sounds yeah. like, and sounds like you maybe deal with this even more than I do, that, that, that it's not, say, that's not a real thing. <laughs> that's not a thing. But again, going back to the general concept behind it, you know. The, the idea for a 504 plan is allow the student access to education. The idea behind IDA is to allow the student have a free appropriate public education. So if they're allowed, if they're able to be in school part of the time and can't be in school the other part of the time, they still have a right to an education during all yeah. those times. So yeah. intermittent, that's all it means is that you're in different settings, different. And so,
0: least restrictive environment. So yeah. we don't want to say if a child could intermittently go, yeah. we don't want to say they never can go. Right. Um, and that's the only way they can get homebound. If they Want them to go as much yeah. as they possibly
1: can. Yeah, so there's nothing conceptually under any of these laws that would prevent intermittent. Um, it just isn't spelled out there, so I think that there's been some confusion around that. But the yeah. Department of Education recently uh, came up with—I don't know if it's like an opinion or kind of a yeah. statement on intermittent that, that recognizes it. And again, we're talking about Indiana specific here. Yeah. So that that's helpful. So hopefully that lessens that there,
0: there confusion. Are, there are. Uh, guidelines for homebound of course that we don't want to you know diminish that you can't you can't be out of school for three days and get homebound services it has to be meeting that criteria of 20 consecutive or aggregate days Um, and with lots of um, the kids that that come into our children's hospital we can anticipate that they'll meet those so then it'd be appropriate to give to honor that and give them
1: Yeah, absolutely. Right. And again, it it gets to their individual needs and there's nothing that, I mean, if if you sort of like turn it around, like there's nothing in these laws that prevent the schools from providing intermittent if that's what meets their individual needs. So that's maybe the easier way to think of it than like, well, what in the laws makes them do, well, what what would prevent it? Maybe that's the easier way to look at it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay. So let's move on to another scenario. So a child was diagnosed with a brain tumor and will receive chemo, surgery, and radiation for the first three to six months. Attendance will be very sporadic, if any, and is the recommendation to put the child on homebound services as well as be supported by a 504 plan. School meets with the family for a 504 plan. However, the parent reports never signing anything, says the principal just wrote down Uh, the parts of the conversation on a piece of paper. Homebound documentation was sent to school. However, three weeks later, no teacher has been assigned and parents are reporting that school has just enrolled the student on online courses with the expectation that the student worked through that material herself. School says no teachers are available to do homebound, so the child must do the online courses. However, with all of the side effects that this child is experiencing from treatment and the tumor itself, independent learning, and all the screen time is against the re- recommendations of her medical team. Parents and the child are frustrated and don't know where to begin to rectify this problem. What are their rights? Is school violating a law by not fulfilling the parent's request initially to implement a 504 plan? And can schools tell parents no to homebound and or to provide physical teacher there to support the student with online work and there's kind of a lot of questions in that scenario yeah. so where should we start first
1: um i would start with nothing was written down <laughs> <laughs> right i mean and, and so sometimes it might be on you as a parent and again i know we're talking to a lot of times parents are dealing with a lot on their plate whether yeah. it's you know going and they're the familiar
0: with what yeah. this all looks like so right
1: but to try and get if the I mean, I think a lot of times you can kind of rely on the school, creating a record, like you have to generate an IEP or a 504 plan. But if, if, if they don't do that, then unfortunately you're going to have to, you know, take the lead and maybe getting this sort of record established. So do simple things like communicate through email. I mean, it doesn't mean exclusively, but you know, if yeah. you call the principal and they said, Oh yeah, yeah, we've got that written down. Then you know, like send an email, like, Hey, I understand that you have this written down. Can you send me a copy? And this is what I understand is in the plan let me know if you disagree. And then you've, Created at least some sort of written, yeah. you know, documentation yeah. that that exists. And again, I mean, that doesn't have to be super contentious. It's just basically good practice, you yeah. know, to, um So, so you have that that written record. So, that's a, that's um, you know, that that probably do the first thing. And again, I, I'd also always look at this another student with a five hundred four, and I'd be <laughs> highly suspicious of having a five hundred four when they're on homebound. So, in other words, basically, what the, the student. The school is essentially arguing here that, or whether they realize they're arguing it or not, that um, that there isn't uh, a, a, an OHI disability, or there isn't some sort of you know, chronic condition that yeah. impacts educational performance, but they're too sick to go to school. Well, I mean, how could those both be true at the same time? It's yeah. like you know, like one of those like Venn diagrams yes. like you learned <laughs> in like elementary school. Like, how can you both? Yeah, You know, not have it impact your educational performance at all, but, you know, also you're, you can't even be at school. Well, that would seem to impact, you impact it. your
0: education, yeah, Right.
1: So yeah. I would definitely ask for a IDEA, you know, evaluation under other health impairment. Okay. Um, so uh, then the other issue is this idea of kind of like these general rules. And we I know we kind of touched on this already, but, um, well, we always use online school for our homebound kids. Well, yeah.
0: And families tell us but we
1: hear that often. Right. So again especially
0: high school students.
1: Yeah. So again this gotta be
0: online.
1: Yeah. So again, well, why does it have to be online? And and you know, in fair school, maybe, you know, they have to have some sort of plan in place. Maybe they have a good relationship with this online school and it works well for a number of number of their kids and that might be all fine and
0: Sometimes those programs yeah. do work great, especially when they're like a credit yeah. recovery and it's a little accelerated.
1: Yeah, so it, it doesn't necessarily sometimes mean it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. It Doesn't automatically mean that something malicious is going on, but at the same yeah. time, in this case, um, well, oh yeah, they had the, the student had trouble reading screens. Well, again, it's an I, I and IEP stands for individualized. Well, you know, part of your disability is difficulty reading screens, and so that doesn't seem to be a very you know individualized plan to require them to sit and read screens all day. So. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's sort of like the general statement of, oh, hey, we, this is what we do, or this is the way we always do it. Uh, well, why? You know, and why yeah. can't, why does it have to be that way? And there probably isn't a very good sort of like legal basis why they would have to do it that way, right? Then it's so think about it that way that...
0: in homebound, like legally, a child should yeah. should never be responsible for essentially teaching themselves that material, correct? Like they should be afforded a teacher to help them work through that material. Homebound isn't, here's all the work. I'm sending it home with a sibling. Do it. Yeah, absolutely. And return it with brother. And or we're going to enroll you in on like class, classes and navigate that yourself and turn it in.
1: That's yeah. That's not homebound, correct? Absolutely. Well, in, in any setting under an IEP, you have to be able to uh, advance in your, your general education, your curriculum, curriculum goals and you have to be able to get meet your goals under your iep so um yeah i mean that without a teacher that would seem to interfere with those but yeah i mean you're not educating if you're not if there's no access to a teacher basically yeah
0: and what if a school says we don't have any teacher in this building that wants to do homebound sorry
1: um well i mean i guess the blunt way to say this it's not my problem but uh, (laughs) you know but i mean but it isn't
0: a family Right. It's it's right. a funding
1: argument. It's essentially what yeah. that would be is like, well, we can't, we can't fund that or we can't, we're not yeah. able to put, but if, if they recognize that it it's a necessary service, so, you know, yeah. that then they need to provide the service.
0: Yeah. So schools and sometimes at schools, just not, maybe this has been, you know, maybe this is the second time this admin team's ever had to implement homebound. So right. they're unaware. Yeah. So and, um, is it, lawful or right for us as advocates um to encourage schools well i you know i understand it's hard to solidify a teacher for homebound you might not have the resources within your school but have you reached out within your district
1: yeah i mean that'd be the
0: next step for schools if nobody in the building can provide homebound
1: well yeah they need to find somebody who can basically you know and and, and,
0: call the department of ed Right. And say, Hey, we're
1: struggling. What can we do? I, I mean, I've I would imagine, I don't know exactly what, you know, how, how that would all work, but I I'm, would imagine that that would be a good thing for them to do if they literally can't figure it out because, okay. you know, again, it's not, you know, a parent who is already dealing with probably trying to maintain their jobs and kids to like the okay. hospital to get cancer treatments to Absolutely. figure out how to hire a teacher, you know? So, yeah.
0: Okay. Um, So let's do one more kind of mock scenario. Um, So a child with a brain tumor post-treatment, so they're off treatment now, is struggling in school due to late-term effects. The child attends a private school and has an ISP put in place. The child's family has advocated for support with memory, processing speed, and and organization deficits due to disease and related treatment. The child also has severe vision issues, um, so double vision and must have all assignments blown up or in larger font. The child's family has met with school and encouraged supports to be put in place to aid in organization memory. Um, For example, the patient's mother recommended teachers initialing an assignment notebook at the end of class um, each day as kind of a second point of accountability as well as oh, lost my place. Um, supporting the patient in practicing organizational skills and the use of a planner. Teachers report to the patient's mother that they don't have time to do this. Teachers also continue to be very inconsistent with blowing up the child's work. The child has anxiety about school and family reports school to be his biggest stressor. With the child being at a private school, what can families do next? And what is the private school legally obligated to do for this family?
1: So this is, again, what we talked a lot, at least touched on earlier, is there's kind of two entities at play here. There's the public school where the private school is located, and they're required to provide an ISP, individualized service plan, so, um, you know, they could maybe, maybe as like a related service or something like that, maybe they could be helpful and... With the school and blowing up the assignments, um, maybe that gets a, a, a little tricky. But that'd at least be a place to start is to get eligibility under that and see what you uh, have that that public school do. Now the private school, this is where it gets a little tricky. We kind of need to figure out do they get federal funding. If they get federal funding, they're subject to five hundred four. This becomes pretty easy because you know they're really asking for pretty basic stuff here. Um, so again, I, I would just start and ask for a five hundred four plan, and if the Private school says, Well, we're not legally required to provide that. Um, I mean, I guess we could see if that's true or not if they do get federal funding, but yeah. you know, I mean, it's at least ask for a 504 plan. And, and it could be that the private school will provide it even if they, they don't aren't legally, you know, if they don't get federal funding. But I mean, at least start as that, you know, as, as a starting point and go from there. I mean, because these are all pretty basic things that they're asking for,
0: so yeah, so um. And you saying pretty basic things to be asking for. So asking, and this is really common that children um, with with brain tumors, especially, and thinking about all the you know rigorous treatment that they go under. So mm. surgery, radiation, chemotherapy. Yeah. They have issues with executive functioning. They have yeah. issues organizing things. So yeah. asking a teacher to support a child with. Um, signing off on an assignment mm-hmm. notebook so you're encouraging that child to be autonomous and, and yeah. writing down those assignments but asking can you just be another um, point of accountability sign sign that off and then you know parents can can know when that child gets home oh th- these are his actual assignments yeah. that's something pretty doable
1: yeah and i, I would say so if a
0: school is yeah. saying we can't do that that's probably getting back to what we said earlier one of those Red flags that do "Why can't you do that?" Yeah,
1: I mean, they certainly can. I mean, that's at least in my experience, probably in yours too. Funding to do
0: that. Yeah, the assignment
1: notebook is in a lot of IEPs, right? And it's one of the most basic things that goes on is to have some sort of, you know, and and it probably varies whether the students in elementary school to whether they're in high school, how much the students responsible versus the teacher, but some sort of, you know, communication through some kind of like assignment workbook between the resource teacher, the parent, is in a lot of IEP. So the idea that this would just be beyond this teacher to be able to provide is, is pretty doubtful. And so, yeah. again, it I sounds would Sounds
0: like a pretty basic communication plan.
1: Exactly. And so... Organization for the- yeah. I mean, certainly if, if they're subject to 504, that would be pretty basic. And if they're not subject to 504 and they're not willing to provide it, then, you know, that doesn't really speak very highly of that school, I would think, so...
0: Okay. Well... Thank you so much for all of your time today, um, and I think I think we you helped answer a lot of questions that I know parents have off the bat because I think we've talked about this a couple of times that um, a cancer diagnosis is you know a lot of times families feel like they're stepping into this special education world that they knew previously nothing about. It's a lot to navigate on top of navigating your child having a cancer diagnosis, Um, but we often hear our families say that school is one of the biggest stressors um, and that they have a hard time um, getting, um, you know, the the community to understand how to support the child, but and families feeling maybe not as confident in, in being an advocate, but I think today's conversation is great for families to hear and know that your child has lots of rights. Um, and there's information at your fingertips. You can go to Indiana. Um, dot, geez, you can look at the Department of Ed's um, website for. Um, um, you, you can look at Article Seven. You can look. You can you can research what a 504 and IEP is and why your child would be eligible. Um, you can seek out the support of an advocacy group like and a rights. Um, Sometimes children's hospitals have a school advocate available to you. If you're not sure, just ask your child's provider, oncologist, is there any support here in the hospital that we have accessibility to? Um, Do you have any, um, before we finish our conversation today, do you have any resources or um, um, websites, anything that families, if they feel like I need more information on this, um, that they can go to?
1: Well, you, I think you did a great <laughs> job of covering a lot. I mean, just go back to me, what you said at the beginning. and Again, Indiana specific, but the Indiana Department of Education has uh, something called navigating the course that's really good, or reading those procedural rights that should be passed out at the beginning of a case conference. I would say just for us, Indiana Disability Rights as an organization, mm-hmm. it, it's you know, if you're at all in doubt, you know, give us a call. Yeah, you know, but what, what will happen is you, you'll talk to an intake advocate, um, and and even if for some reason, it's it's a case, and basically, you know any any sort of disability related legal yeah. right or issue that you, that 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 you feel like you're having, it's it's always good to call because part of the service that this intake advocate can do is provide uh, what we call information referral. So even if it's a case we can't take, hopefully they can provide other referrals or sources of information. And then obviously, if we we can take it in education specific, you know, um, you know, we're, we're a free service. Um, We get federal funds, so um, you know it it certainly doesn't hurt to call us.
0: And I'm glad you said that. That there's your free service, and there's lots of free services out there. Free, certainly free information online. Families can have accessibility to. You don't have to pay a lawyer um, to to look at your case or or to come to to a school meeting. That there's lots of lots of free resources out there.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: And and a lot of the information we talked about today um, is isn't just specific to Indiana. So, I mean, nationwide, your child could be eligible for a 504 or an IEP. Um, And if you want more information on that, um, you can even ask schools, right? If you asked your child's school, um, do you have a copy of my parent rights or can you explain to me or do you have resources so I can learn more about a 504 IEP? Schools can help you with that as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think in some, um, some of the procedural rights they'll even uh, refer, they'll have or you know, have references to advocacy groups. Um, so, like in source, we talked about which is Indiana specific. I believe there's an in source type group, and in, 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 in other states, um, you know, there are different federal programs. And then the Indiana Disability Rights, there's what's called Prote- Protection and Advocacy Group that's similar to. Um, IDR in, in every state, not some of them do more or less, you know, that th- all of them didn't necessarily really focus on education, but a lot of them do. So, yeah. Okay. Well,
0: thanks so much for your time. All right. Thank you very all much. Right. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to another episode of Lifting the Fog. As always, please email us at liftingthefog1 at gmail.com because we want to hear from you with your questions, concerns, thoughts, and ideas for future conversations and topics to dive into. And subscribe, whether it's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, but please subscribe and rate us. We would also love for you to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at liftingthefog1 And as always, Lifting the Fog is an independent podcast. All information, thoughts, and opinions shared are for informational purposes only. No material on this podcast is intended to be substituted for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please always seek the advice of your qualified health provider with any questions that you may have. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a good week, y'all.